Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everybody and welcome to our episode, I think technically this is the fifth film, so episode five of our season of Italian post-apocalypse futuristic dystopian type uh, films. That was very snappy, that was good. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so this is our fifth film in the season and I am Adrian Smith. And I'm very happy to say that I'm joined today, as ever, by my patient co-host, the king of podcasting, oh Rod Barnett. Hello, uh, glad to be here. And um, what a time it is to be alive. And this is what I wanted to start with today. Mm-hmm. If you are a fan of cult Italian film, we've never had it so good. True. I think it's fair to say. So just like since we last spoke, which has maybe been about three weeks... Um, I now own um, a hard box limited edition with a nice book and a bunch of reproduction lobby cards uh, Blu-ray of Antonio Margariti's The Last Hunter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would have ever thought that would happen? Not me. And I'd never seen it before actually because you know again with most of this stuff I'm seeing it for the first time and it's great and the picture quality of the print is really good and there's loads of extras. I mean this is so obscure. And yet, this new company, uh, Treasured Films, this was their first release, and they went for something that most normal people have never heard of, which I was quite impressed. But this is available <laughs> in shops. I bought it from their website, but I've seen it in actual like shops on high streets. So it's got a really good release, and that bodes well, I think, for the future with uh, with all kinds of stuff, including, and I don't know if you're aware of this one, Rod, but there is now 
Antonio Margarisi on 4K. Yes, uh, I was a little shocked. Uh, I, I've, I've got to get my hands on that, actually, because it's it's uh, uh, 4K and Blu-ray in one package. It's Ark of the Sun yep. God, and which is one of my uh, favorite of his 80s films. I actually really enjoy that movie. It's it's a lot of fun. And oh, it's great. The fact that Margariti has made the leap to 4K just absolutely surprises the living crap out of me. I mean, who would have thought? And it's So we've got Alan Collins in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and he is so fun in this film. But I was thinking, I think Antonio Margariti has now made 4K before Mario Bava. That's what I'm thinking. I don't, I, I'm, I'm unaware of a uh, 4K release of any Bava films. Yeah. Am, I, am I wrong? Which, I, well, I, mean, I don't think so. Considering you know how ma- how long people have been going on about Mario Bava, yeah. it seems really surprising to me that suddenly out of nowhere we get a 4K of Ark of the Sun God. I still don't have a 4K player. I should add. Oh, I don't either, and i I don't have any I don't have any plans to get one in the near future either. But uh, but just the fact that you can. I mean, I watched the Blu-ray and it looked great and it's really fun. And it, I think they filmed this around the same time as your. There's a lot of the same locations, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously, you know, Alan Collins has got the same beard uh, <laughs> as Pag. Oh, I didn't, I didn't really think about that, but yeah, no, filmed in yeah. a lot of the same Turkish locations. Yeah. yeah, I think it was shot with in the same caves and mm-hmm. uh, and all that stuff. So, um, and also, I think the f- big finale in Ark of the Sun God, the big temple they're in, I'm sure it's the same set. As episode four of, uh, or the, you know, the last part of your, the Hunter from the Future, where they're walking around in this like kind of ancient temple thing. Oh yeah, I think it it's may the same well place. be. Yeah, it probably yeah. it probably is. That's true. So, <laughs> it's really fun. I mean, it just shows what amazing times we live in, and um, and then this weekend is uh, Record Store Day, which I believe is international. Mm -hmm. So presumably that's happened over there as well. Yes. And there were quite a few cult Italian things on offer. So I went and queued outside the shop yesterday morning, ridiculously early. Um, And I was hoping to get some Ennio Morricone. They they did the soundtracks for Cold Eyes of Fear, um, Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. Ah. And then a couple that I can't remember, a couple I hadn't really heard of. But anyway, but I so they had forbidden photos. But the one I also really wanted was Goblin, Rarities, Film Versions, Alternates. Oh, so I picked both. I got both of them in my bag, and then I noticed how much they cost. And I tell you, I've been complaining about this on social media. But the um, the rate of inflation for Record Store Day has gone through the roof. It's madness. Yeah. These records were, were more than forty pounds each for just one LP, not even a double. Yeah, and there's just I realistically couldn't do it. So I, it was like Sophie's choice: do I keep the Goblin or do I keep the Morricone? So I decided to put back Morricone, which you know was sad, but I wasn't going to spend eighty quid on two albums. No, I mean, that's it's, just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I know. Yeah, you know. even just last year, that kind of thing would have been thirty quid at the most. So. The prices have really shot up. But I did get the Goblin one, which I later found out there are only 500 copies of this. Oh. And only 150 of those made it to the UK, apparently. So well, I then, did quite well to get that, I guess. Yeah. I haven't uh, opened it yet. I haven't listened to it. But it's got Profondo Rosso tracks on it. It's got Suspiria, Zombie, Patrick, uh, Beyond the Darkness, Contamination, Phenomena, and Tenebrae. So 
Great. All good stuff, yes. So it was a bit of a treat. But I just think this kind of thing, that we're just getting spoiled to the point now where, you know, yesterday I had to decide what not to spend my money on. Whereas <laughs> even just a few years ago, you know, you'd be lucky to find one thing in this kind of field. But yeah, there's so much good stuff coming out. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is, I'm assuming this is the same in your neck of the woods. Oh, most assuredly. It gets to the point nowadays where I'm wondering, um, and I didn't used to have to do this, but for instance, um, that Blu-ray of The Last Hunter, that is yeah. that is a really good Antonio Margariti film, but at the same time, it's one that I, I, I owned on Blu-ray a few years ago. A really good, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not Blu-ray, on a, on a DVD a few years ago. And then... Uh, over here in the states, a Blu-ray of it came out. Oh, it has had a release over there. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and it, it was a few years ago, and I held off on getting it just because it was like, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't really need that right now. I've got the, you know, the the, the DVD is is good, and it has a number of extras. I'm perfectly happy with that as it stands. And then while I'm not even thinking about it, they announced that release that yeah. you're talking about there, and I'm like, oh well, I'm glad I didn't pick this one up because the other one. It's about to come out is so packed with all these. Okay, good. That's that's really nice. And now I realize I start. I've started to have that weird thing where I'm thinking, oh wow, do I really want to buy that because it's been out for a couple of years and maybe there's going to be some ridiculously amazing special super edition coming down the pike from some other somebody else somewhere. Mm. So do I really want to buy it now? You know, I don't know. You start to second yeah. guess. I've started to second guess myself in strange ways. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy time, but yeah, it's. I mean, the, but obviously because it's a collector's market, they just yeah, everything's so expensive. Well, I was quite impressed. I was, yeah. The um, the four K one was actually relatively inexpensive con- considering what you get. So, but yeah, it's pretty good. We um, we can't complain. Although obviously, if you go online and talk about any of this stuff, people just come back with a list of all the films that aren't out yet. <laughs> It's like, yeah, that's great. But, <laughs> and, yeah. it's, and it's like, yes, we realize there are lots of films that yeah. aren't out yet. When, Can we please pause for five minutes and enjoy yeah. what we Whenever have? Whenever Severin <laughs> make a new announcement, somebody down in the comments will say, but can we do this or this or this or this or this? And I go, oh, come on. <laughs> Speaking of. It's all, it's it's always that way. You're, 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 dr- you're drowning in gold and you complain there's yep. no silver. It's there's like, um, Severin of teased their upcoming Black Emmanuel box set which brings us nicely to this week's film actually um, but yeah they, they've they been talking about it in the background for about three years but now they're finally doing a screening of Emmanuel in America somewhere in America and they'll be selling the box set there so they haven't officially announced what's in the box set but they've said there is one and that'll be out sometime this summer which is kind of interesting. I'm not sure I'm going to bother with that one. <laughs> I feel like I have to. Yeah, I've seen. I have to draw a line I've somewhere. I've seen all of those films. Yeah, I've seen all those films. I've got a number of them that have been released uh, by other companies on individual yeah. Blu-rays, and I, I went through the uh, the two DVD box set years ago when. Uh, I mean, the uh, it, it was two different box sets of three films each. I think I went through those and actually reviewed them online a right. while. You know, back. That was a long time ago now, but um, the it, it, don't get me wrong, they're enjoyable enough to watch. But I don't know that I necessarily need to continue no, upgrading these Black Emmanuel <laughs> films. I've seen Emmanuel in America, and that might be enough. 
You know, honestly, that's an interesting film, and I've heard some people I've heard some people refer to it as the best of those mm. movies, and I'm like, I don't know. It really kind of depends on what you're looking for from the films, <laughs> but maybe I, I, I don't. Yeah. Know. It's it's a tough call because they're that's a series that that's a series that you know hangs together because the same actress is in the film, and yeah. that's about it. You know, I might watch Emmanuel and the Last Cannibal or whatever it's called because. I'm a bit, it's worth seeing. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. a bit of a cannibal yeah. film completist, but I haven't quite got round to that one. But <laughs> there, there, there's a phrase. But, <laughs> well, they're just so Moorish. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's one I'll be jumping to get. Not when there's just so much other great stuff, obviously. Um, sure. So uh, before we get into our, this week's film, just want to mention I did a bonus episode last week. So hopefully some of you have listened to that already about the restoration that's going on in France of Castle of Blood. Um, There is a 4K complete restoration from the negative happening, and I managed to interview the person who is in charge of that. So that was really interesting uh, in Paris. They were in Paris. I wasn't, sadly. (laughs) But, um, yeah, that is happening, and that will be coming out on Blu-ray in America. Um, That should be announced relatively soon i think and also there's a company in france that are going to do it as well but that's pretty exciting i love castle of blood it's one of my favorite of well my, one of my favorite films but especially one of my favorite kind of gothics and um the fact that it's getting this beautiful restoration is is really exciting so again you know we're just being totally spoiled these days so if you haven't listened to that please do uh, go back and listen to that from from last week um i am also this is a teaser speaking of the last hunter i will be doing a bonus episode about the last hunter next week where i will be interviewing somebody from the company who've just put that out so nice. i'm trying to give you a lovely audience all these extra little nuggets um, in between um anyway so yeah speaking of being spoiled let's talk about endgame an interesting we've already talked about the fact that you know we're going to be covering 10 films and for the most part we never make it past like 1984 (laughs) 
and, and that's and, you know that, that it was a short-lived genre and part of the fact that it is so short-lived is one of the things that I'm now realizing makes it makes it so much fun to revisit because regardless of whenever the the particular story we're we're watching at the times apocalypse happened yeah uh all, it all all seems to have had had to have happened sometime in the late 80s uh, because that's the level, that's the, the the upper level of technology we mostly see. Yeah. That or some imagined, you know, maybe early two thousands. Yeah, I think futuristic thing. The, you know, the book claims here, but I don't know where. I don't don't remember saying this in the film, but um, they say here that the the blast takes place in twenty twenty five. Oh no, the oh no, sorry, I misread it. The movie takes place in twenty twenty five. Apparently, I don't remember seeing that anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it uh, all just I looks think, like the 80s. I think it does say does that. It, say that? Uh, it says that in it says that in the movie. Oh yeah. no, yes, it does. When they're announcing the games, okay, mm-hmm. I'll shut up. Yeah, but the, yeah, you're right. <laughs> the, this, which I was, that was one of the reasons why I thought it was well timed that we're recording this podcast as the UK government are showing us how they're going to warn us if something bad is coming. Like there's <laughs> yeah. there's quite serious war brewing, not very far away from here with people involving people who are not afraid to talk about all the nuclear weapons they've got and like yeah. this brings us right back to the 80s and i don't know what it was like for you in america in the 80s but in the uk in the 80s we were basically expecting nuclear war any day oh yes certainly so obviously these films were really tapping into that though this whole wave of post nuke movies because we kind of thought well, yeah, maybe this is what it's going to be like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that if it's I don't know if it's possible really to communicate effectively to a younger generation just how. Uh, I mean, maybe they can understand it now because the the doom that's overhanging the the current generation is yeah. the fact that we've allowed we've allowed corporations to get to the point where they essentially own everything yeah. and, and their their entire their entire way of advancing themselves is to reap every nickel out of every human being yeah. possible and so that's the current way in which we're all doomed because <laughs> roughly 16 corporations on the planet is going to own every nickel and yeah. they're going to rent a penny out to us just for the use of possibly buying food. But back in the 70s and 80s, when we were youngins, uh, it became a, it, 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 there was this overhanging fear of nuclear holocaust that really, I mean, it, it, it was something that the people in the 50s and 60s dealt with as well, but it was really kind of just a back once you accepted it i know it sounds psychotic but once you accepted it it was essentially background noise this horror that was overhanging everything and that's one of the reasons why this genre existed and maybe one of the reasons why the genre burned itself out Mm. who wants to wallow in viewing a reality of your 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 existential fear of (laughs) of having to exist in a post-apocalyptic world i don't know i mean yeah it was all it was everywhere because we had these kind of government leaflets about what to do in the event of an attack how to build a shelter mm-hmm. in your house we had films like when the wind blows which is that sort of animated film about old people surviving a blast which is really depressing but it was by the same artist that did the snowman so we all watched it and it was so bleak <laughs> just basically watching this elderly couple deteriorate as they try to maintain some semblance of normality whilst the world is dying but also, um, obviously, there was there was threads 
which was the BBC mm-hmm. sort of semi-documentary, semi-drama um, about what would happen if a nuclear bomb went off near Sheffield. And um, I think I was too young probably to see that. But my mum must have watched it because I remember one day her telling me and my sister that if a nuclear bomb went off, because we lived in Wolverhampton, which is up in the West Midlands, so the bomb would have probably gone off in Birmingham. And she said, if a bomb goes off in Birmingham, I'm just going to take you and we're just going to walk up to the end of the garden. (laughs) Walk up to the end of the garden? Yeah, like, thanks, mum. So she's basically saying, we're just going to die. I'm just. I'm not going to try and help to save you. We're not going to try and survive. Ooh. I'm just going to take you to the end of the garden, and we'll just let the blast wave kill us. <laughs> and that was. I was probably about. Oh, nine, wow. I was probably about nine years old, and that's never left me. I can understand why. <laughs> so these films are are part of that whole. Yeah, like sort of. It was de- definitely in the zeitgeist. I mean, up until the Berlin Wall coming down and the Soviet Union kind of collapsing and all that. That and then suddenly we all breathed a sigh of relief, but. For a while, yeah, it was pretty tense. And yeah, these films are an interesting part of that. Um, so Endgame, also known as Bronx Lotta Finale or um, Bronx The Final Struggle, which makes just which about makes just about as much sense as Endgame. Um, apparently in France, it was called uh, Le Gladiateur du Futur. Which you could probably guess those the gladiators of the of the future, yeah. Uh, because yeah. it had this brilliant poster. This poster is fantastic. The artwork is it's amazing. amazing. It's the um, it's the front cover of the book after the world ends. I have a friend, uh, my 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 friend who occasionally podcasts with me, um, who who goes under a pseudonym, but he has that poster on his wall, an original, and it's huge. Oh, nice. He didn't realize how large it was when he bought it. <laughs> And it is it is gigantic. Oh, it takes cool. up an entire wall in uh, their dining room. Nice. And it is a thing of beauty. But it's one of those things where you walk into his house and it's just completely impossible to, yeah. to to not be overwhelmed by that poster art. It's incredible. There was some alternate art which also gets used in some places, which features Al Cliver, which um, is slightly more realistic to what we actually get in the movie. But but yeah, what we don't get. Because this poster makes it look like this is a kind of gladiator games type thing. But like the whole thing, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into the plot. But uh, yeah, end game. I mean, it should really be called beginning game because it's o- the game is only in the first like 15 minutes of the film. And then very quickly the game is over and we're just driving around a quarry somewhere outside Rome again. And, that, and a disused factory so it's like the same yep. i think they made this quite shortly after 2020 texas gladiators um which according to just so there's a great interview on the blu-ray uh with george eastman that i just watched again yesterday it's, yeah that, that is a that is a great yeah great interview really funny. i love that i love his little dog yeah. that's constantly asleep yeah. in his in his lap <laughs> the entire time and so he says um well, I mean, I, I should have almost welcomed us at the beginning of this episode to our, the next episode of our George Eastman season, because here, here we are <laughs> again. Close. I think he's been in pretty much every film. He claimed to, you know, I think when we talked about um, Texas Gladiators, the story was that he'd only directed the first couple of days and then Joe D'Amato took over. But according to George Eastman, he directed that whole thing. And he also says that Joe, I think Joe produced it and that mm-hmm. he they started without a script and George Eastman was writing the, the next day's 
pages every night, which which might make sense. Me. But I still think twenty twenty was really good. Um, I but, really enjoyed. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I have to admit, to a large degree, I kind of enjoy it more than I enjoy this film, and I kind of enjoy this film. Too. Yes, this film feels a bit like a sequel because it's most of the same people. Um, we've got I know. Al Cliver is back again. Hal Yamamuchi is back. Uh, George Eastman, obviously. So um, yeah, it's interesting. But anyway, so Joe D'Amato, we've talked about him before because he's been on here now already. Al Clive, we've talked about before. George Eastman, we've talked about before. But I wonder whether we should mention the company Film Mirage, which as the company that, that produced this film, and that was Joe D'Amato's own production company, I believe. I wonder oh, if film, yeah. if you know much about Film Mirage. I don't know a whole lot other than the fact that uh, it, it was a, an Italian uh, production company that uh, was either owned or controlled one way or another. It was Joe D'Amato's, you know, uh, uh, I'm forgetting his actual Italian name, but it was his company. And it's, I think um, it started Aristide uh, Massachusetts, wasn't it? There you go. Something like that. Uh, he, I th- it started, it, it, it started business in 1980 and kind of wound down in 1994. Yeah. And uh, I think they produced around 45 movies and i gotta say when you when you look at the long list of the movies we're talking about here we're talking about anthropophagus and absurd and ator <laughs> all the good ones uh well i mean that's the thing is like whether you think they're good or not and you know believe me i understand uh there's a lot of joy to be had with these things yeah. things like ghost house and killing birds and and uh you know beyond darkness but also which, some like know, proper good ones like Stage Fright. Yeah. Which is exactly. which is a fantastic film. And and Troll Two. <laughs> well that of course <laughs> I mean that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Laura Gemser famously did the costumes for Troll Two because she she mm. quit acting and became the costume designer. And Precisely. um yeah. so that would make sense why she was working on Troll Two over there in Utah, which is still kind of blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very very strange yeah well that's okay let's 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 discuss something really briefly here laura gimser is for lack of a better term the female lead in this movie right uh, yeah she's pretty good i think you wouldn't know that from the credits no. because she and her husband gabrielle tenti are are hiding behind uh pseudonyms mm. they're both in the film uh uh, Gabrielle is playing uh, uh, Bull. He's the guy with the eye patch. Yeah, uh, and uh, he's Gus. And bo- Gus Stone. Yes, under 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 the pseudonym Gus Stone. And Laura Gimser is hiding behind the the fake name Mora Mora Moira Mora Chin yeah. Moira Chin. And so it becomes this thing where, wow, so. We're already using, you know, usually fake names. Yeah. We're going to go, gonna go like one level deeper for yeah. these films. It's like, <laughs> hide, hide, you know, pull another blanket over you mm-hmm. for some reason. It's but, very odd. No, barely anyone uses their real name in this film. Oh, I know. It's complete. Well, I mean, and that's, you know, starting with, of course, all of the Italians. Joe D'Amato, which is already a pseudonym, goes under the name mm-hmm. Steve Benson for this one. 
<laughs> no, I was gonna, I was gonna mention the fact and I that think it's like the um, everybody's pretending to be someone else. It's like they're just all wearing masks. George Eastman wrote the script for this one, I believe, but he, he's under yeah. a different name as well. Yeah, for the script, he used I think the name. Oh God, what was the name? Now I don't even remember anymore. But yeah, he had something to do with the script, and it was under a different yeah. name. And oh, it's such a it's such a tangled web. It's pretty funny. And yeah, they've got a low budget. <laughs> Yes. I also like the music uh, in this one. But what's funny is I now own, by accident, basically, three separate copies of the soundtrack to this film. Really? Yeah, because I've got it on vinyl. I've got it on CD because there was a delay. in Basically, when I bought this book after The World Ends, it was on um, Kickstarter, and you could also get mm-hmm. the vinyl for Endgame. But because there was a delay, they sent everybody a CD. And then, of course, the Blu-ray came out from Severin with a CD as well. So I've got like three different ways to listen to this music. But it just makes me laugh that it's a whole album of Endgame when basically there's just one song that just gets played over (laughs) and over and over. Like every time there's a new bit of action. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, pew, pew. Every time. Well, am I wrong, or does the uh, doesn't the the uh, doesn't the synthesizer used to create the score actually get a full credit at the end of the movie? <laughs> does it? I think it does. I don't remember. Well, that's good I if think it, it does. does. Um, yeah, who was the music? Carlo. Oh, we've talked about him before. Carlo Maria Cordio, who. Um, Oh, what was the yeah? What else did he? What else? Twenty twenty twenty. Again, twenty twenty Texas Gladiators. So oh well, of course it would, it would be yeah. the same the same crew of people who you know were just making these films as quickly yeah. as possible. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, that uh, that um, the interview with Eastman he points out that he thinks it could you know he he thinks it's he thinks it's it's an okay film, but that he realizes that it, what it, what it really needed was a firmer hand in the editing room. Yes, if they. If they had trimmed it, and especially the action scenes, to make the action scenes yeah. uh, a, l- a little bit more energetic. Yeah, the fight scenes a, are not... could have been a, a much better Yeah, film, like the know? fight scenes just between him and Al Cliver punching each other are not exactly dynamic, are they? <laughs> no, I mean, there's a few moments in the in, in the fight scenes where it's... it's it's interestingly framed or you know but at the same time it's like yeah the editing they needed to spend a little bit more time yeah. especially in the action editing but also in just kind of trimming a little here and there to move things along a little quicker yeah but the uh it's it's it, 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 i i found myself kind of thinking that as watching it as i was watching it and so it's nice to know that he as one of the people who made it he kind of feels the same way yeah and he also i uh, thought it was funny that he can't really understand he's glad that people are still talking about these films but he can't understand why <laughs> exactly it's, well it's it's that whole mysterious thing that you never really know when you're making something especially if it's if it's considered you know trash genre yeah, cinema at cheap the time. throwaway stuff yeah, yeah. This is stuff that you figure no one's going to pay attention to, you know, a year after the fact. No one's even going to know yeah. it exists. And then out of nowhere, there's this entire industry that grows up out of reverence, you know, for these bizarre genre films. Yeah. And, hey, you know, we're part of it. I mean, we can't say anything about it no. because we're, the, we are. we're part of the freaky group of lunatics who just worship these things and, and watch them over and over. So, 
we're the problem, yeah. I guess. Uh, Joe D'Amato says has said apparently that this was his best film. Which, which okay, <laughs> okay, I'm glad you've jumped to that because it's not what in the hell's name. Are we talking about really? I mean, come on, man. I mean, he's I, no, he's doing himself a disservice there because he's made some good films, but this he has this isn't the best of them. No, and, and I don't know why he would feel that way. I want I want to know what his thoughts yeah. were to make him make that statement. What is it about this movie? I mean, was the food from the craft yeah. services really good? Or it's probably got the best poster. Well, but, you okay, know, there's that. Yeah. I mean, I think at all the Fighting Eagle is better than this. For example. Um... I kind of do, but I think a lot of people would be willing to fight you yeah, over that well, because there's a lot of there's a lot of hatred out there for well, Ator for some reason. I, I'll bring it on. I'll fight them. Um, I, yeah, I'm a fan <laughs> of Ator as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to ever claim that it's a great movie, no, but, but if, there's, if you, some, there's just something about Ator. Yeah, if it. you had to pit um, Joe's films against one another, I just don't think the End Game would be the winner of End Game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the winner of that game yeah. i don't know yeah you're right I don't, I don't either so should we have a go at the plot so i've got the uh the summary here in uh in our book after the world ends um so yeah the movie takes place in 2025 obviously after a nuclear blast the world we know is no more though some civilizational and cultural remnants subsist among those tv which has turned into a weapon of mass destruction, and it's precisely in the midst. Well, boy, boy, has it ever. Yeah, and he, um, George Eastman, did say that he basically based this on the seventh victim, the book, and also the tenth victim, the film, for his ideas. Right, which this, of course makes a lot of sense yeah. because I see a lot of I see a lot of uh, latter day reviewers of the film being unaware of the tenth victim as a possible uh, early right. influence in this and them kind of thinking that somehow this predates um, running man. the running man yeah. or something like that. And it's like, no, 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 this is there, there there's, there's a place Stephen King got that idea and it's probably the 10th victim. Oh, not, so. not end game. Hmm? You don't think Stephen King was watching end game? <laughs> I mean, maybe. No, I think, I think it's impossible simply because I think that uh, the, the original publication of the, the, the Running Man novel was in 82 instead of 83. Oh, so. Fair enough. So, uh, reality TV pushed to the max, mixing circus games and manhunt. Um, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, so we've got this TV. This, they, they don't stick with that for very long in this description. But, yeah, basically, so Al Cliver is kind of like the champion of Endgame. And it's the new round or new competition. And he is going into this arena, which is basically just an abandoned factory. Um, and he's going to fight against who are the people that are in there. So we've got Kurt Karnak, who is his number one enemy, but also like his friend. But he's apparently they, they were, were friends. Childhood. Yeah. yeah, they were friends and childhood buddies. And so, yeah. But they're going to have to fight each other. And also there's a guy... <laughs> Um, I've forgotten his name now. There was a kind of martial arts guy who was doing not very good martial arts. Um, and there was another guy who was it Woody? I think it was Woody, played by Bobby. Yeah, played by Bobby played Rhodes by, again. Yeah, Bobby Rhodes. Yeah. Um, and they all have great face paint. They basically walking into this fighting arena with their best David Bowie um face paint. 
Yes, yes. And David Bowie slash slash members of the Kiss Army. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so we expect we're expecting the film to be all about this, but it's not. Unfortunately, we do get a bit more of this kind of thing later on in the Lucio Fulci film that we're going to cover uh, in a couple of episodes time, which is much more based in the kind of gladiator games type arena. Yeah. Whereas this film, yeah, they play the game for a little bit and um, it's not really a spoiler to say that Al Cliver, who I should say the character's name, he is Ron Shannon. Ron yes. Shannon. Um, he he wins and he gets an opportunity to kill Karnak, but he lets him go. But this the reason he can win is because he has met the beautiful telepath mutant Lilith, um, played by Laura Gemza. Mm-hmm. So she is because she seems she she has sought him out because he obviously looks exactly like the hero she yeah. is. Now we're in a very similar future here to the one that we've seen in at least two films so far where the state is basically fascist and they're just yep. walking around yep. like Nazis wearing Nazi helmets and coats and shoots in this in this particular version they're going around killing all the mutants which I think weren't they also doing that in 2020 Texas Gladiators or was that was that they were killing all the robots anyway I, can't uh, remember. I don't remember you're confusing me stop sorry me. It's, this is the problem, isn't it? They all sort of blur into one. Um, so, yeah, so she represents a group of um, mutants who are, who've are who developed the powers of telepathy. Luckily for them, because there are some other mutants in this film that have developed the um, ability to wear the same masks that they were wearing in 2020 Texas Gladiators. <laughs> so where they're kind of turning into Planet of the Apes or Island of the Fishmen. Yeah, let's talk a moment about the weird variety of mutants yeah. within this film, and it's it, it, it's it's a, it's strange. We got fish dudes, we got ape dudes, yeah. we got people who I, I, none of it. Okay, I was about to say something stupid, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it and then rush right by it because I have a point to make. Okay. None of it makes any sense, <laughs> but what that means really for me, as far as this film is concerned. Is that as much as I want to talk about how little money they had and probably time, they did somehow find the time to completely make up these folks in, I mean, not a lot of them, don't get me wrong, in these various and sundry bits of makeup, including this one guy who looks like, you know, the, the dollar store version of Dave Bautista yes. who ends up raping. Uh, ends up raping Laura Gimser, which apparently, you know, apparently it's impossible for Laura Gimser to appear on screen without being at least menaced by being raped. Yeah. And the um, the strangeness of that is that that's like a whole head piece of make. I mean, it's in other words, that's not something that that you you do on the fly. No. That, you know, they had to take some time to they do did. that. So it's yeah. really weird where the time got the time got spent. They they made thing. some effort with those fish people because if you look closely there's a couple of shots yeah. where you can see they've got webbed hands. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Which is quite an interesting a bit of attention to detail. And not expected at all. No. And they've also got um they, so yeah, so basically he she asks him, "Will you help us to guide our mutants to escape the city where somebody's going to rescue us and uh, we'll pay you loads of gold. So that's the kind of setup. So he agrees 
because she's used her psychic powers to help him to beat Karnak in the first place. Um, mm. But he needs a team of people to take with him. So, so then we have our section called Stolen Straight from the Seven Samurai or the Magnificent Seven, yeah. where we assemble a team of misfit action people yeah. who are going to help our, our help our uh, victims get to safety. So this is where we meet Ninja, played by Hal Yamamuchi. Yamanuchi. Mm-hmm. Um, Bull, as you said, played by Gabriel Tinti. Um, there's a guy... What's his name? Was he Stark? There's like a big oh, the, bear the, the, of a guy. The big, the big guy? Yeah. 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 Oh, well, I loved that bit. <laughs> so the, <laughs> he's going around trying to gather his team and he goes out to this place, like some kind of ranch, and he walks in there and then these guys approach with guns and there's this guy and he opens his mouth to speak and it sounds like this. Stop there, you son of a bitch! Which one of you is Kovacs? What do you care? I make the rules on this square of turf. I'm Kovacs. What do you want? I'm the one you talk to. Get it? Bull says you're as strong as an ox. So what are you doing taking your orders from that idiot? Who are you calling an idiot? I'll crush your head with my bare hands. The next step you take will be your last. You. And it's the funniest kind of, hey, what are you doing around here? kind of voice that was so unexpected i know it's a hilarious it was, it, how what what was the what was the thinking of that choice and then when, I, they, I don't, when they're in the dubbing suite they're like so does anyone know any funny voices yeah i mean that, that is really about the only explanation for how uh, that ended up in the movie it was so funny <laughs> so yeah so he's gathered his he's gathered his team um meanwhile kurt karnak is nursing his wounds back at the firing ranch because he's annoyed that he didn't win and that he's in debt to um, Shannon because he helped, didn't kill him. And Colonel Morgan, who is uh, apparently in charge of the uh, Nazi stormtroopers, who's played by Gordon Mitchell, we should mention. There's another um, blast from the cult past. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Always weird to see Gordon Mitchell... Uh, pop up in movies that are not peplum. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm not sure if we've mentioned Gordon Mitchell before, actually. But so before I prattle on with what he does in this film, is there any? Have you got any um, anything from Gordon Mitchell's filmography that is worth just mentioning briefly? Going back to this, going back to the 60s, I guess is heyday. Well, he had a very long career. I mean, I mean, the last movie he was in, I think, came out in the early 2000s. Mm. I mean. You know, don't get me wrong. By the by, the nineties, he's 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 doing you know bit roles and things like Bikini Drive-In <laughs> and uh, Evil Spawn and things like yeah. that. But man, the, the, the he was a you know he was a bodybuilder, and so he was in. Uh, he played like he played Machiste in uh, uh, Atlas Against the Cyclops mm-hmm. or whatever title you're going to find that under. He played in a lot of those kind of movies, and yeah. so that's where primarily, if you see Gordon Mitchell's, well, first of all, he has that craggy stone face yes. i mean there's there's just something he, there's something really impressive about him i mean he was one of those uh, those bodybuilders who worked his way into doing films during the you know the the heyday of the the initial uh explosion of of hercules films and things of that nature yeah. and uh the 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 joys of the, the joys of spotting him in something other than that well you got to understand he made like I, 
I don't know how many movies, but I got to well, say that it probably out of the out of out of the he, the, the first like twenty five to thirty movies he was ever in were uh, you know Italian sword and sandal films with the occasional spaghetti western. Yeah, he in. did loads of westerns. And, there's a yeah, yeah. There's a good title here I just spotted from 1974, Una Donna per sette bastardi, which I think means one woman for seven bastards, which is a <laughs> pretty good. Which you know immediately makes you yeah. want to see it. But course. yeah, but yeah, he's in a bunch of stuff. I just watched him recently in Lady Morgan's Revenge, which is one exactly. of the gothics that just came out on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. great film. Um, so yeah, so he's pretty cool to to pop up in this film as the villain. Um, in his um, sort of Nazi helmet, he's already been beaten up once by Al Cliver, and now he's trying to persuade Karnak to go and stop uh, Shannon. I keep saying the wrong name, um, and he's like, "Yeah, whatever." But we do then see that Karnak is following Shannon as Shannon begins to go out into the wilds. It kind of reminded me as well of. Um, the setup, I mean, this is a bit too early perhaps, but the setup reminds me of Judge Dredd and how you've got the city, yeah. um, you know, you've got Mega City One, and then you've got the the sort of radiated wasteland that's full of mutants. And there's a few Judge Dredd yeah. stories where he has to kind of get a band of people together or get a couple of people together and head out into the wasteland. And I'm guessing, obviously, Judge Dredd probably just drawing on all these kinds of films, but that's certainly what it reminded me of when I was when i was watching um but that's a that's a that's a good call though because i mean it's, it's you know similar similar um similar genres and so that's that's not a bad call to think about it as well yeah kind of the deterioration of society with or without nuclear holocaust yeah, yeah. and obviously it all comes back to uh, mad max 2 anyway Mm-hmm. ultimately they, they, they all yeah. do i mean <laughs> well i mean there's and then there's no denying it i don't think anybody else i don't think anybody making these movies would have pretended otherwise no. but i mean it, it does become a it does become a, a a kind of thing where like with this movie um as the interview with eastman points out it's like he he kind of was kind of just juggling different ideas that he's stealing from other places the 10th victim yeah the uh the the most dangerous game aspect that kind of comes along with that part you know with that idea of uh, the, the 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 seven samurai or or magnificent seven gathering of a crew and then of course the the journey across the wasteland which is of course unmistakably the road warrior and then uh it just it goes from there we get to we get into this this situation where you're assembling you're assembling new mo- movies out of obviously stolen bits and pieces of other places and you're not worried that anybody's noticing because as far as you're concerned, that's why they're in there in the first place. Yeah. That's why they came to the theater. So just be creative enough to make it entertaining yeah. and move on, I guess. And so we do get, um, so he basically then has to go out into the wasteland and, and fight against various different types of enemies and different groups of mutants. We've got, we've got blind psychic monks, which um, is a very interesting section. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> that, that could have been, that's another one of those uh, sequences where, you de- you definitely think, man, with just a little finer yeah. finer edge on the editing, yeah. the sequence could be really impressive instead of just interesting. Yeah, and then of course we've got the fish people, and um, there's the Nazis are still chasing them. Karnak is chasing them, and they're driving across the desert in um, basically a minivan, 
I think it's just <laughs> yeah. well, a minivan, and then there's there's Al Cliver's character Ron. Yeah, oh, he's got a badass ro- road warrior yeah. mobile. And... Yeah, there's a few kind of futuristic spiky cars, and and I'm sure we've seen some of them before. I mean, um, George Eastman said in the interview that basically they were writing it based around what they had access to. So I'm sure all of these vehicles have turned up in at least uh, 2019 after the fall of New York or 2020 Texas Gladiators. Yeah, I'm sure they're just borrowing all this oh, well, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's good fun. I mean, it's not the best one that we've seen so far, but um, there is a lot to enjoy and it's got a fun ending. I don't want to go too much into it, but they are one. I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of yeah, that. Yeah, it's a great ending. I really, I really was not expecting yeah. that. And, and we, we've got that, a brief appearance. Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say it ties into the the little surprised bit where we have George Eastman's character of of Kurt Karnak following along, not being part of the team that's actually helping these people get to where they need to be, but following along behind and then occasionally popping his head up to help them out. Yeah. Um, where you end up with this kind of. Um, he becomes kind of a bit of an anti-hero to a degree because he is helping them, but he really he really has no uh, he, he's he's not making any secret of the fact that he's not um, a particular fan of his fan of his old childhood buddy, and that one of the reasons he's there is to make things even between the two of them so that he can justify or find a way to justify killing him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's yeah, it's like this it's, kind it's really of code of honor they've got where. Yeah. yeah, he's got to respect the fact that he saved his life, and but he's, he's annoyed about it as well. And, when it, you know, a cynical person would point out that it may maybe the the character sticks around just because the uh, the actor involved is actually having to rewrite the script as they go along, and so he's gonna <laughs> they put him in front of the camera as well. That's a smart writing move, right? Come on, that's true. Yeah, and keeping him keeping him on set. Um, well, one other weird little thing I'd like to point out is how we have this. Uh, this reoccurring uh, element of the story, which is there's this this deep uh, this deep seated prejudice against the the mutants that the normal people have, yes. and that's that's best best uh, spelled out by the uh, by the big hulking fat dude that's part of the crew, <laughs> who ends up at one point, of course, expressing this, and he discovers that the people that they're helping to get to safety are actually mutants yeah. with telepa- telepathic and telekinetic abilities. And the, um, which of course we've known from the beginning because that's how yeah. uh, Laura Gimser's character is communicating with Al Cliver all the time. Yeah. But the uh, the the way he, <laughs> the way we have that particular uh, uh, prejudiced character end up kind of Han Soloed into Carbonite there in the wall is really very strange. It's don't get me wrong. It was it was it was entertaining to see, but there was a point. There as soon as you see it, you're like, why did they do that? And how did they do that? Well, yeah, like where and, did they have access to a, a cement mixer? Yeah. And uh, how did this happen? Is there magic quick drying cement someplace? Yeah. I mean, what? Anyway, so yeah. But there, there, let's just say that there are a number of uh, there are a number of uh, inter- there there are a lot of interesting ideas yeah. thrown into this movie. Not all of them necessarily gel. Not all of them really kind of make the kind of sense that you would have uh, in a film <laughs> that is that is better scripted. But man, it does keep you kind of going along for what ninety was it ninety four minutes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. And I was going to just add as well that there is a brief cameo at the end from Michaela Suave, 
who uh, yeah, that's right. pops up in all kinds of films every so often. He like he even oh. he even has a line of dialogue. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. Like, oh, there's Michaela Spivey again, just randomly showing up. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had in this film. It's not. Uh, it's certainly not Joe D'Amato's best film. I don't care what he says. Oh wait, we should probably explain who Suave was. Um, oh well, yeah, go on. So we we just mentioned obviously he his first movie as director. He was an actor for a good 10, 15 years, but he began mm-hmm. to get into directing. And his first film as director was um, with Stage Fright. Yeah, it was with Stage Fright with Film Mirage. And then he went on. And then he made to do uh, films. The Church. Yeah, The Sect, which were both produced by Argento. Mm-hmm. And um, Cemetery Man, which is my favorite, I think. Love Cemetery Oh, yeah. Uh, Della Morte, Della More, which yeah. is just a great, great, great really film. Really funny. He's still directing because well, he does mainly stuff for Italian television. Um, I think last time I was in Italy and I had the TV on, a trailer came on for the latest Michele Soavi TV drama. <laughs> so, wow, I wasn't aware. Yeah, because yeah, he's been making um, kind of realistic cop dramas since mm-hmm. the 90s, I think. Yeah. yeah. For, for for Italian television, yeah. so they they the vast majority of that kind of stuff just does not travel over here to the states. I think we uh, think we have plenty of that stuff on our own, especially as we continue to import the British stuff endlessly. So uh, yeah. you know, the Italian stuff doesn't Sorry, doesn't man. hop the pond very frequently. So Endgame, from what I can tell, it was never released in the UK. Um, wow, but, really? Yeah, it's and it's still never been like not even on home video or anything. Um, but it did get a release in the states um there are, i found ads for it in variety but um i can't find any reviews in variety which is a shame but i did find a good ad which i'll um, i'll post on the uh twitter feed um but was this a film that you'd sort of been aware of and seen before i'm kind of guessing that this is probably a film i've been waiting to tell you this story okay hi thought i knew this film no i did I, I i can't imagine why i would have thought i knew you know yet another italian post-apocalyptic film but it turns out about once i'm about five or six minutes into it i'm realizing i don't remember this i don't think i've seen this i think this was the first time i've ever seen this movie. oh wow that's yes quite a claim for something that's pretty well known and it's for what it is I oh, honestly thought that I had seen the film and uh, even, you know, maybe it's just because I'm overly familiar because because of my buddy's, you know, giant poster on the, on the wall of his dining yeah. room. Maybe it's just that I'm over familiar with the poster art and because and because I'm over familiar with the genre that it all just kind of blended together. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I know this one. And that's why I had not until we decided to cover it even popped open that Blu-ray from Severin yet. Because uh, I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll go back and rewatch that one. So, But it was only this past <laughs> week when I was like, okay, time to reacquaint myself with this movie that I then realized I had never seen. Wow. So, hey, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so th- to me that that's fantastic. There there is at least one more, if not two more, that we're going to cover in this little series yeah. that I know I haven't seen because I look at the titles and the details and I realize, okay, those don't ring a bell at all. Mm-hmm. But the the sheer joy of this one for me was, hey, I don't know this movie. <laughs> this is this is brand new territory for me. It's kind of it was kind of exciting to uh, to, to to find a new old yeah. post apocalyptic film a from the eighties. Brand new film that looks just like the film that we just watched three weeks ago. 
<laughs> I know to the point where I mean I know they were made back to back by mostly the same people yeah. with some of the same actors and that's why they're kind of blending in my head but I have a real history with 2020 Texas Gladiators you know right. so there's a I think that may be the reason that I honestly thought that I knew this film or had at least seen it at least once mm-hmm. but nope nope hey, this is fresh well that's good to know that we can still um that we're both still learning at times on this podcast. <laughs> if you're not learning, yes. you're just not you're just not having a good yeah. time with this stuff. Oh, good stuff. Well, yeah. So I, you know, that's Endgame. As we've said, it's available on a very nice Blu-ray from Severin. They put it out. So they put out a trilogy of uh, not well, not trilogy. They put out three post-apocalypse films, and this was because the um, Pulse Video, the French company who did After the World Ends. They got these restorations done over over there of Endgame, Raiders of Atlantis, and Warriors of the Year 2072. So they put them out on Blu-ray as part of the whole Kickstarter thing for this book. And so Severin picked up on that and did their own releases of those films. And they also did a bundle, I think, with the book. So I'm guessing some people who are listening may have a copy of this book as well if they did the whole Severin bundle thing oh i i did and that's how i have oh you did it there you go so um yeah so end game is one of those it's available very nice disc um next episode we're going to be cracking open raiders of atlantis um which i still haven't watched it's the one of the it's the last one of the three that i haven't seen i've already watched end game and warriors of the year 2072 last year when i got these but i've been uh, kind of holding off on raiders of atlantis so i'm looking forward to watching that one um, which I'm is, going to be curious to see yeah, the reaction I mean, of that one because uh, the, yeah. the plot summary certainly makes it sound like it's not going to be another end game 2020 or 2019 like we're not going to be running around the same abandoned factory in Rome so uh, no, it sounds no, quite it sounds pretty intriguing it's Deodato of course who I really love so yeah I'm looking forward to that one so yeah we're um, we're, we're plowing through we're halfway through the season um with a couple of bonus episodes thrown in where i can um hope you're enjoying listening to this so far do get in touch with us on twitter or on email and let us know uh you know obviously there are a lot more uh, films than we are fitting into this season so maybe tell us what you think of some of the films we're not covering uh it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on some of those other ones as well um or just anything else that you would like to share with us you can of course buy us a virtual coffee again all the links for all this stuff are in the notes uh or just find us on twitter and you'll find all the links there as well oh uh i did a strange thing i just i had almost forgotten to mention oh this. yes go I, on tell after, us tell us about after your new be, thing after uh, I, uh, after being prodded by a few longtime listeners of my various podcasts, I did actually start a Patreon page where people can can send me money. Uh, I can't believe that I finally did that because I there's a certain measure of guilt I always have yeah. for a, in asking people for money. That, but uh, people have started to sign up for it. I'm a little shocked. It's only been out there about a week, and I'm a little a little surprised that the people are willing to throw three bucks a month my way just to uh, get the occasional, the occasional little, uh, you know, 10 minute or less <laughs> extra rant rave or review from me, uh, wow. just thro- thrown out there with so very little editing. You're finally going to be able to get that early retirement. 
This is good. Oh, of course. I'm going to rack up enough money. <laughs> well, first, first I buy the Rolls, Rolls Royce. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's coming right off the top of the cream of this money. Nice. I'm telling you now. But, but yeah, I have started a Patreon page where I'm going to try to uh, once a week post up one little bit of audio bit, uh, audio uh, BS from myself that will not be going anywhere else. And uh, I have to say, uh, I, more than a little nervous about the whole project, but uh, I did finally decide to do it because, ah, what the heck? And Lord knows, uh, you know, I, I have enough. I, I, I can babble in. I can babble into a microphone about things, you know, for a few minutes on my own. And the first one I threw up is about my revisit recently through the uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century television series <laughs> and the, the surprises lie that lie within that uh, first season anyway. So, so how yeah. can people find that if they want to? Uh, check uh, they should be able to go to, to Patreon and just search for my name, Rod Barnett, and uh, I, I it's it's uh, it's got the uh, the banner for the bloody pit of Rod from the from the blog and everything like that. It's not uh, okay too overly hard to find now, but at the same time, I'm just shocked about it. So. Whilst we're plugging your many achievements, we should also mention that you've been nominated for two in two categories for the Rondo Awards this year. Oh yeah, I think is the, it two? I, I yes, and at the same time, it's the it's it's the same two that I usually get nominated <laughs> in one way or another, and uh, invariably lose in. And I'm uh, don't get me wrong, folks, I'm I'm expecting to, to do the same <laughs> this year, but it's uh, it will be what it it will be what it will be. Yes, and so the uh, the question uh, the question now becomes just you know. How do I, uh, you know, uh, cast my eyes downward and accept yet another, yet another loss? Uh, but it's, it's no big deal. It's like after a certain point of time, you realize, you know, the shows that I do, they have a very odd audience. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, you're part of it. That's right. So it's it's uh, it is what it is, and I'm not I'm I'm not ashamed of it, and I'm not worried about it. But at the same time. I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to call any of the podcasts that I do award-winning, so that's okay. <laughs> Award-nominated still sounds good. It's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. No, it's exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, so whilst we just, let's just we should probably finish uh, here, but have you got anything else upcoming that you want to tell people about, or do you feel like you've plugged yourself enough? Oh uh, no! Uh, next is <laughs> a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, ne- next month the uh, the 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 Screen Factory Blu-ray of uh, the double feature of Conquest of Space and I married a I married a monster from outer space. The uh, the nineteen fifties science fiction movies comes yeah. out, and uh, I along with Troy Howarth did a commentary track for I married a monster from outer space that I'm pretty happy with. Nice, and uh, so that's the next thing that uh, is out in the world that I can talk about currently yeah cool. oh and of course you know there there is the the contribution to the to the the gothic set that's coming out yes. from severin here but very yeah, nice yeah, so yeah as i said at the beginning these are we live in amazing times it's a good time to be a fan but also an expensive time to be a fan <laughs> <laughs> yes but uh, yes it is yeah the trouble is you've got to work more hours to be able to pay for this stuff and then you buy you buy more of this stuff, but you've got less time to watch it because you're working all the hours to pay for it. So you kind of and you start to, you start you start sleeping less yeah. and enjoying your life less <laughs> at the same time. It's yes. just it's it's a it's a vicious. Circle. It is, but a fun one. It's it's like first world problems, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> yes, I yeah. suppose so. <laughs> anyway, thank you everybody for being with us again for another episode. Um, do watch out for the bonus episode, hopefully. 
within the next week or so i anticipate uh where we're going to talk about the last hunter and the, the blu-ray release of that and how they got all of the extras and just you know i'm basically my phd was in film distribution and exhibition and so that's the kind of one of the sides of this that interests me the most so any excuse i can find to talk to people who actually work in this area is something i'm going to take so just brace yourselves for many probably many more bonus episodes to come where i try and talk to film distributors because that's just my thing um but hey if you, if you don't mind then uh, that's fine anyway right thank you rod for uh for being here thank you for popping your end game cherry uh for this podcast <laughs> so to speak <laughs> um and yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to my nuclear bunker now uh and before we have to come out again for the next episode i i will do the same cover your cover yourself in something shiny so it will reflect the radiation back upon your enemies <laughs> okay bye everybody bye bye who are you calling an idiot i'll crush your head with my bare hands <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.